Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. Well, here we go. Today is Baptism Sunday. Today is going to be a great day. It's going to be an amazing day. It's going to be a wonderful day. It's going to be a day that we look back on for years and years to come because today is a day that we get to witness and to experience life change through Jesus take place right here in our church. And today we're wrapping up our sermon series called Life Change Through Jesus. And we're looking forward to seeing what it means for us to be a church, that gospel-centered movement in the heart of the city where every man, woman, and child gets to experience life change through Jesus because that's who we are, that's why we exist, and that's why God has called us here to be the church. But I want you to understand something. Redemption Church is really only three years old. And over the last three years, God has done some incredible things. Every single week, people keep showing up. Every single week, people keep getting connected. Every single week, people keep meeting Jesus, getting in community groups, joining on the serve team, experiencing life change through Jesus. He's done some amazing things. And in three years, as a church, we've had the great privilege to baptize 90 people. 90 people in three years. And today, at the last notice of signups, which was this morning, we've had 27 people in our church who have made a profession of faith and are going public with life change today. Like I said, God's done some amazing things. God's done some incredible things. But you know, it didn't really start here. It didn't really start with us. Yeah, our church is three years old, but what Jesus has been doing is really nothing new. He's been doing it for the last 2,000 years. And so what I want to do is I want to look back at the very beginning. I want to see where did all this come from? Because you know, you're not here by accident. It's not an accident that you're here. You didn't trip and fall into redemption. Somebody made it possible for you to be here. And I want to go back and I want to look at where this all got started. Redemption started as a dream and a vision and meeting at Bo's apartment in Old Town and gathering a little core team and starting in a dirty bar. But Christianity, it actually started 2,000 years ago on a mountainside with 11 men who decided to follow Jesus. And Jesus, he, he told them to do something. And he says, I got something that I want for you to do. It's what's known as the Great Commission. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with you to Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16. We're going to look at the last thing that Jesus tells his disciples. But before you do, I want to say something, that this series has been very um, encouraging for me. This series has been very motivating and inspiring. How many of you have been inspired throughout the series? But it's also been convicting. How many of you have also been convicted during the series? You know, for me, as I begin to lay out and study what I believe life change looks like, one of the things that God kept showing me over and over again is how little my life actually looks like what I read in the Bible. 
As you read through the Bible, can you easily replace your name with one of the disciples' name? Could you easily read this and say, okay, Peter did this, and Philip did this, and you know, Paul did this. I have a hard time replacing my name with their name. But you know, I also have a hard time believing that God's going to do this for me. As you're reading through the Bible, you think, man, these are some amazing stories. These are some wonderful stories. God, I'm so glad that you would do that for them, but it's really hard for me to believe that, God, you want to do that for me. It's amazing to see what God did in their church, but do you think God could do the same thing in our church? It's amazing to see what God did in their life, but do we really think and believe and trust that God wants to do that in our life? And as I was building out this sermon series and praying over it, the Lord really began to convict me, and, and I, I just began to pray, and I believe that God gave me a word, a, a word for us, a word for me, and a word for the church. And, and this is what I believe God said, and it's very important. They're going to throw it up on the screen, and here's what the word is. If I did it for them, then I can do it for you. Do you know that when you read the Bible, it's not just a bunch of stories that happened 2,000 years ago, but it's actually what God does? Do you know as you read in, in the scriptures, these aren't just stories of what God used to do. These are stories about what God wants to do. And as I was praying and dreaming and believing, God, what's next for us as a church? I really felt like the Lord began to move in my heart, and I believe he wants to move in our church, and I believe he has a word that if he can do it for them, he can do it for you. And we're going to see that play out in the Great Commission today. So the sermon title is Life Change Through Jesus for you. Hey, now, it's going to involve you doing some things, but it is for you. And so here's what we're going to do. Matthew chapter 28, we're going to start. I'm going to read it all up front. And then on the back way, I want to give you three ways for you to experience life change through Jesus. Okay, so here we go. Starting in verse 16. Now, the 11 disciples, they went up to the mountain to which he had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped, but some they doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Over the course of this series, we've been looking at four stories of life change that take place in the early church. And we've looked at through the Bible because our tagline for our church is life change through Jesus. And I want you to understand that that's not just something we put on a wall, but that's something that God has placed in our hearts. And we don't get this idea as if it's from some cool, clever catchphrase, but it's deeply rooted in the scriptures. Brandon didn't come up with it. We didn't invent it in a board meeting. This comes definitely from the Bible. We did not make this up. This is God's heart. This is God's goal. This is God's dream. This is God's purpose that every man, woman, and child would experience life change through Jesus. So in Acts chapter one and two, as we opened up the series, here's what we saw. We saw Jesus tell his disciples, go be my witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then I want you to start preaching to people. And that's exactly what they did. They prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And in Acts chapter one, they received the promise. Acts chapter two, they got the power. They preached, Peter stood up and 3,000 people were saved and baptized in one single day. You think that's amazing. It is amazing. And if he did it for them, he could do it for you. 
And then the next one we saw was in Acts chapter 6, when Philip, the, the evangelist, he, he, God says, hey, I want you to go into the middle of nowhere. I want you to go down into the desert. I got one person I've had my eye on because I love that one person, that there is an Ethiopian eunuch who has been rejected, kicked out of church. He's searching, he's seeking, he's wandering, and you're the guy who's going to be the one who reaches him. And so Philip, he drops everything that he's doing, and he runs down to the one because not only can Jesus save 3,000, but he can also do the one because life changes also for the one. And then the next week we looked at Cornelius as Peter goes to Cornelius's house. Cornelius is a Gentile. He's one who's far from God, that there were no Gentiles who believed in Jesus at this point. There was no church for them. There was no witness for them. There was no people who would go to them. They were the lowest of the low. And then God says, go to Cornelius and I want you to teach and preach and I want you to baptize him. And he goes into Cornelius's house And he shares the good news of the gospel with people who are far from him. And in one moment, the entire family, the entire house, they are repenting of their sins. They're getting filled with the Holy Spirit. They're baptized. They come up and they start speaking in tongues. I mean, that's an incredible church service. That's what we pray as a church. Get them saved, get them dunked, get them filled, amen? That's what it needs to be. And you think, that's amazing. How did he do it? Well, if he did it for them, he can also do it for you. But I, I really struggle to read, to, to read and to believe that he's going to do it that way for us. When I read the Bible, it's so easy for me to say, oh, man, God, that's so incredible that you would do that for them. But do I really believe that he wants to do that for me? When it's in the Bible, I think, God, it's so amazing that you would do that for the early church. But I, I really wrestle and struggle and do I really believe that God wants to do that for our church? How many of you, 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 you feel that? You, you wrestle with that? You read the Bible and it's like stories that are 2,000 years old, but it's hard to believe that he would actually do these things for you. I want you to know that he can do it for you because the Bible's not just about what God did, it's about what God does. And so today what we're gonna see is what's known as the Great Commission. It's the very last words that Jesus tells his disciples. He's up on a mountainside in the middle of nowhere 2,000 years ago. He had just resurrected from the grave. And he says, hey, y'all come meet with me, and I'm going to tell you to do some things. And so they all get up on the mountain. Then he basically tells them to do the impossible. He says, I want you to go and change the world. I want you to go and reach the nations. I want you to go and tell everyone about me. What are you waiting for? Go tell the entire world. Okay, now whenever we read this, we think, well, that seems pretty difficult. Amen? I mean, that seems pretty difficult, but it doesn't necessarily seem impossible because the way that we live today, the world is so connected that anyone could really go and reach everyone. I mean, it might take a little bit of money, You might have to buy an airline ticket. You might need to do a little training, learn a language, but we could do that. If you want to go to Africa, you could do that. If you want to go to Albania, you can do that. If you want to go to New York, you can drive there. If you want to talk to somebody in South Korea, you can use Skype. You can use FaceTime. If you want to go to Chicago, okay, well, you can go there because we could basically go anywhere. It would seem difficult, but it would not necessarily be impossible. However, consider yourself as one of those disciples 2,000 years ago. 
You're on a mountainside in Galilee. How are you going to go to Chicago? You can't do it. Because they didn't have cars. They didn't have planes. They didn't have internet. They couldn't take out a Facebook ad. They didn't have a good little social media campaign. They didn't have door hangers. They could go pass those out. They didn't have anything. And then Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. I want you, 11 men, to go and single-handedly start a movement that is going to change the world forever. And you know what they did? They did it. Today, Christianity is the biggest thing on the planet. There are more churches than McDonald's. Okay, the church is bigger than Google. It's bigger than Amazon. It's bigger than anything you can imagine. That more lives have been changed by Jesus. More songs have been sung to Jesus. More books have been written about Jesus. Okay, universities and hospitals were built by people who love Jesus. I mean, the church is the biggest thing. There are right now almost 4 billion people on the planet worshiping, loving, serving Jesus Christ as their risen Lord, Savior, and King. Every tribe, every tongue, every race, every gender, every ethnicity, every income and socioeconomical background bow their knees to Jesus. And how did it all start? started with 11 men. And if he did it for them, he can do it for you. See, I beat myself up a lot when it comes to pastoring this church. Whenever we first started, I thought, God, I can't do this. I don't know what I'm doing. Why people keep showing up? I have no clue. We don't have any money. We don't have a plan. We don't have any people. I don't even have any leaders. We meet in a dirty bar. God, I don't know what I'm doing. And I just felt beating myself up so inadequate, so ungifted. I'm just not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not bright enough. I can't lead this thing. And then as I was reading it this week, I, I felt like the Lord showed me. He says, Byron, I gave your church more than I gave my first disciples. He said, you started with 30. They only had 11. Right, you, you have more at your disposal than those first disciples did. Why are you making this so difficult? Because think about it. One of the things that brought a lot of people into our church was through our use of social media, Facebook. Hey, follow us, share it, good. They didn't have Facebook. One of the things that we build our church on is the preaching of the word. Did you know that the first disciples, they didn't have a Bible? They didn't have Bibles back then. They hadn't been written. That's why Matthew, one of the disciples, is writing this book, so you could have a Bible. Did you know that the first disciples on this mountain, they didn't even have the full promise of the Holy Spirit in them right there? If you're a Christian, you've received the promise of the Spirit. On that mountainside, they didn't have that. We had a little bit of money. They had no money. We met in a bar, but that's better than being homeless on the side of a mountain. <laughs> And you know what? They didn't make excuses. They made a difference. Jesus said, I want you to go to the nations and to the world, and I want you to go teach, and I want you to go baptize people. And you know what they did? They did it. And the world has never been the same since. And what I believe is this, that he wants to do it again. 
I believe that he wants to do it for you. Life change comes through Jesus, but it's available for you. And so here's what I want to do. I want to give you three ways for you to experience life change from the disciples. Three ways from these first disciples, so that way you can experience life change through Jesus. Because if he did it for them, then he can do it for you. So what are, what are things that these disciples did? Well, there's three things they did, and I believe that if you do these three things, you will experience life change through Jesus. The first thing that they did was this. They kept showing up. Verse 16, now the 11 disciples, they went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some they doubted. The disciples up until this point, they've been with Jesus now for three years. They had a front row seat to see everything that Jesus did. That Jesus comes Jesus calls them in Matthew chapter four. He says, hey, you come and be my disciples and follow me. And they lay everything down and then they begin to follow after Jesus. But Jesus, Jesus, he doesn't pick, let's just say the sharpest crayons in the box. Jesus, he goes, I'm gonna start a movement that's gonna change the world forever. Okay, if you were God in the flesh and you were going to change the world, who would you choose? Would you choose a famous person, a celebrity? Would you choose a rock star? Would you choose an athlete? Would you choose somebody from the Dallas Cowboys? Would you choose somebody you know, from the Houston Astros? Would you choose somebody who's a politician? Would you choose a person with 10,000 followers on Instagram, get you a little social media presence? Who would you choose? If you were going to change the world, who would you choose? Jesus chose the opposite. Jesus didn't choose the best or the best dressed. He didn't go to the synagogues. He didn't go to the seminaries. He didn't get people with more degrees than Fahrenheit following their last name. Here's who Jesus picked. <laughs> Jesus went down to the docks and he chose a couple filthy fishermen. He went down to a tax collector, the lowest of the low, got a couple of hicks and rednecks from the country, one city boy, and then he brought them all together and said, okay, you and me, we're gonna change the world. We're gonna rewrite history. And he chooses people that we typically wouldn't choose. Ordinary, simple, average people, people just like you. And, and that's who Jesus chose. But they had a learning curve. Let's just say that. Because it did not always work out in their favor. Things didn't always go well for the disciples. As you read through it, here's what you notice the disciples see. Chapter four, they're like, yes, follow me. And then after that, it's hurts, it's hardships, it's pain, it's difficulty. They're rejected by their city. They're, they're laughed at. They're the laughing stock of the entire religious system. They're constant fights and conflict with the Pharisees. Right? They don't have any money. They don't have any place to lay their head. Right? They probably don't even get along with each other very well because one's a zealot and one's a tax collector. Put them down together. It's lucky they didn't kill each other. And Jesus brings these guys together, and, and, and as they're working and walking and spending time with Jesus, it didn't go very well for them. But you know what they did? They kept showing up. They might not have been the brightest people, but they kept showing up. They might not have been the smartest people, but they kept showing up. They, they might not have always had the best time, but you know what they did? They kept showing up. It might have been hard. It might have been difficult. There might have been opposition and resistance. They might have gotten made fun of. They might have been gossiped about. They might not have even gotten along with each other, but you know what they did? They just kept showing up. You know, somehow we've gotten this idea that if something's hard, it must not be from God. 
That's not true. Somehow we've gotten this idea that if something is difficult, then it must not be God. Somehow we've gotten this idea that if it takes a long time or if it is difficult for you, then that must not be from God. That is the opposite of what we see in the disciples' life, that it was hard, but they kept showing up. It was difficult, but they kept showing up. It was painful, but they kept showing up. It took them three years, and you know what they did? They kept on showing up. When it's painful and difficult, the disciples would tell you, just keep showing up. And especially when it's difficult. That's when you need to show up the most. You know, there's times in our church that I don't want to show up. Yeah, I'm not supposed to tell you that. But there's times where I don't want to show up. Over the course in the history of our church, there's been days that I did not want to show up. There was days early on when I worked two jobs just to be able to provide for my family and try to plant this church on the side. There was times I did not want to show up. Whenever I had to drive the trailer at 7 a.m. in the morning, I did not want to show up. Whenever we were cleaning wax off of the bar because we had thought we were going to be a goth church and turned the whole thing into candles and then we spilt it all over the floor and had to show up on a Wednesday to get all the candle wax off. I did not want to show up. Whenever we didn't have any money in the bank account and somebody tied the marble, I did not want to keep showing up. There was times in our church when I did not want to show up. Whenever our leader left, I didn't want to show up. When our church launched with, you know, 30 people after the grand opening, I did not want to show up. When I would have to come forward and close my eyes and worship and lift my hands, not because I was praising God, but because I was too afraid to turn around. I did not want to keep showing up, but I kept on showing up. And you know what I learned? Is that when you show up, he loves to show off. Yeah. Because the disciples, it was painful for them. But if they didn't show up, guess what they wouldn't see? They wouldn't have seen a miracle. If you want to see a miracle, you got to show up. If you want to see God deliver, you got to show up. They got a front row seat. Yeah, on one hand to the pain, but on the other hand to seeing Jesus do incredible things. They got to see Jesus preach. They got to see Jesus teach. They got to see the miracles that he did. They got insider secret access to the parables and the teachings of Jesus. They got to see deaf ears open, deaf ears, blind eyes given sight. They got to see the dead be raised to life. They got to see him come man the winds and the waves. They got to see him speak over creation. They got to see his death. They got to see his burial. They got to see his resurrection. And do you know how they saw all of those things? Because they kept on showing up. If you want to see God move, you, you got to show up. But it's hard. Oh yeah, they know it's hard. Because here's some worshiped and some doubted. Some are like, Jesus, this is amazing. And some are like, "Mm, Jesus, I don't know about this. Some of you, you're in a place of worship in your life. You're like, woohoo, Jesus, yay. Others of you, you're in a place where, and you're doubting. Some of you, you're in Matthew 4, where he says, hey, come follow me. And you're like, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus. And some of you are in Matthew 28. And you're like, it's been a long road. And I have doubts. You know what they both did? Those who are worshiping and those who are doubting, they still showed up. 
If you want to see God move, you got to show up. When it's hard, just keep showing up. When it's painful, just keep showing up. When it's difficult, just keep showing up. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't quit. You keep showing up. Whenever you don't want to show up, you keep showing up. When you're worshiping, you keep showing up. When you're doubting, you keep showing up. When it doesn't make sense, you keep showing up. And when you show up, he loves to show off. But you got to show up. If I could just encourage you, you want to experience life change through Jesus, the number one thing you got to do is you got to show up. The second thing we'll see is that you do what he says. Okay, here's what happens next. Jesus tells them this, and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded to you. Now, this word here, it is extremely important, and I want to highlight it for you. It's this word, disciple. Okay, this is a total Christianese term that we don't use very often outside of the church, but it is extremely important. And actually, the word disciple is what it means for us to be a Christian. Okay, there is no such thing as a, of a Christian that is not a disciple. If you are a Christian, then you are a disciple. Now, we don't really talk a lot about this anywhere else but within the church, and so there's a lot of confusion, and there's a lot of you know, debate over what this term disciple means. Okay, some people think discipleship is a class. Discipleship's not a class. Okay, discipleship is what every Christian is supposed to be. Okay, because the word Christian is actually only used in the New Testament three times. Did you know that? Only three times. And they used it to make fun of you. Okay, the word disciple shows up 296 times in your New Testament because there is no such thing as a Christian that is not a disciple. If you are a Christian, you are a disciple. So here's, here's what we see. People think discipleship's a class. You want to become a disciple? Here, make sure you go sign up in the lobby for this nice little discipleship class. It's three years long. You'll read these books, and after the end, we'll have a nice little graduation. There'll be some cake, and you'll finally be a disciple. And some people think that it's you know hanging out, having some coffee. Maybe it's, a, it's an event. Maybe it's a program. We got, oh, this is a nice little discipleship program. If you sign up for this program, then you'll become a disciple. And then discipleships becomes optional for Christians. There is no such thing as a Christian that is not a disciple. And then others of you, you have this idea that discipleship, it's for the super duper Christians. Oh, those are the, those are the disciples. We're just the lowly, normal, common Christians. Discipleship is for them. It's not for me. No, remember, if he did it for them, he wants to do it for you. Discipleship is for all Christians. And so because there's a lot of confusion around the term, I wanted to give you a simple definition for it. Now, there's a lot of men who are a lot smarter than me who've written some amazing books, but I wanted to just condense it down to something that would be easy for all of us to understand. Here's what discipleship is, that you know who Jesus is and that you do what he says. That's it. Okay, don't make it complicated. Just know who he is and do what he says. That's all discipleship is. You know who he is, and then you do what he says. Jesus says here, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay, all authority. 
What that means is that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is boss, Jesus is king, that all authority belongs to him. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the first, he is the last, everything in between, that he is the one who breathed stars into existence, formed the world, formed you in your mother's womb, that by him, for him, through him, to him, all things are held together. All authority belongs to him. How many of you believe that all authority belongs to him? then you do what he says. If all the authority belongs to him, then you do what he says. Because that's who Jesus is. That Jesus comes from heaven, he enters into this world on a rescue mission to seek and to save the lost. That he comes and lives the perfect life, the life we could never live. He dies the painful death in our place for our sins. He goes to the cross, beaten, bloodied, battered, bruised. And as he breathes his last breath, he gives forgiveness. We take him down, we bury him. Three days later, he resurrects, conquering Satan, sin, hell, death, and the grave. And then on his resurrection, he says, all authority that's who Jesus is. Do you believe that? Yes. Okay, then you do what he says. See, some people, they know who Jesus is, but they don't do what he says. If you were to go anywhere, maybe work or Parkdale or go to Target, and you were to meet somebody, and you were to say, hey, are you a Christian? I would guarantee you 92% of the people you ask, they would say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. You ask them, do you believe in God? They would say, oh, yeah, I believe in God. And they would probably even be able to quote a couple of Bible verses to you. Jeremiah 29, 11, Philippians 4, 13, John 3, 16. Oh, because I had a praying grandma. And I went to Sunday school and I did the youth group thing. I even went to camp and got baptized in the Holy Ghost. I remember that. You're like, oh, do you remember that? Oh, yeah, I remember that. So you would claim that you are a Christian. They'd say, okay, yes, you know who Jesus is? Yes, but do you do what he says? There's no such thing as a Christian that is not a disciple. If you know who he is, then you need to do what he says. That's what it means for us to be a disciple. See, there's a lot of people who know who he is, but does not do what he says. Knowing without doing does not make you a disciple. It makes you nothing more than just disobedience. You have to know and you have to do. It takes both working together at the same time. If you want to experience life change through Jesus, here's what you need to be. You need to be a disciple. That means you know who he is, and then you do what he says. That's the way that you grow. And here's three things that Jesus tells us to do. Okay, he's gonna tell us that we need to go, he's gonna tell us to baptize, and then he's gonna tell us to teach. If you do these three things, I believe that you will grow. If you do these three things, your life will be different, your life will be changed. If you do these three things, if you go, if you baptize, and if you teach. Okay, just think about it like this. Let's say, give you a simple illustration. Let's say you wanted to lose some weight. So you go online and then you Google how to lose weight. Okay, and then you're gonna get a billion results that come back to you. But every result is basically gonna say, do one of three things or do all three of these things and you will grow. That if you have diet, if you have rest, and if you have exercise, then you are gonna lose weight. Okay, that's what they'll tell you. Now, other people are gonna try to sell you all sorts of things. So you're gonna get some, you know, contraptions where you have to use a shake weight or you got some bands, and they're gonna try to get you on keto or CrossFit or do the whole 30, paleo, whatever it is. They're gonna say, if you buy this magic pill and do this cleanse and detox, then you're gonna lose weight. Just don't worry about that. Here's what you need to know diet, rest, and exercise, right? If you eat less, move more, and get some sleep, you're gonna be healthier. 
The same way for your spiritual life. Jesus says, if you do these three things, you will grow. The first thing he tells us to do is that we are supposed to go. And here's how he says it. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. I, I think it's very interesting that Jesus starts off by telling them to go. Right? Because he says, hey, come meet me up on the mountain. Okay? And so they get up and they go and they meet Jesus on the mountain. They're like, Jesus, we made it. We're here on the mountain. He's like, okay, great. Now get off the mountain. You're like, what, 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 Jesus, we just got here. It's like, yep, you got here. You met me. Now get off the mountain. Go help other people meet me. You see, what I find so interesting is that oftentimes in the church, we like to stay in the mountain. People want to stay on the mountain. They want to come to church. They want to have their Bible study. They want to read their journal books. They want to have their little curriculum. They want to have their private prayer meetings, and they want to do their own thing, but they don't want to get off the mountain and start going to the nations. See, we say, oh, Jesus, we have this nice little Bible study, and if we start inviting other people in, they're going to mess it all up. Don't matter. Get off the mountain. Say, Jesus, I like my church exactly the way it is. If we actually start sharing our faith, then we're going to see new people come in, and that's awkward. And so, Jesus, we can't do that. Jesus says, get off the mountain. See, sometimes we like to stay on the mountain, and we say, oh, it's spiritual disciplines, when in reality, you're being spiritually disobedient. Get off the mountain and then go out to the nations. If you want to grow in your faith, you got to get off the mountain and you got to go. Go to the nations. Now, some of you immediately, you're going to balk. You're going to say, what, nations? I'm not going to go to the nations. You mean that if I really want to be a disciple, I have to sell all my possessions and have a little bake sale and move across the country or the nation and never get to see my family ever again? Yes, for some of you, that's exactly what it means. Some of you, you have a call to the nations on your life. You need to be obedient to that call. But for the rest of us, that word nation is very important. That word nation does not mean Africa, Haiti, or Honduras. That word nation actually means people groups. That there is not one person that we discriminate against when it comes to sharing the gospel. That we don't judge, we don't discriminate, we don't prevent anyone from hearing the good news of the gospel of Jesus. That everyone we meet and everywhere we go, we tell them about Jesus because it's all about you just going wherever you're at. So you can go to work, you can go home, you can go to Starbucks, you can go to the gym, you could go to the kindergarten, you could go to the high school, you can go to the university, you can go to Lamar, you could go anywhere, everywhere, but wherever you go, you're to be telling people about Jesus. Jesus says, if you want to grow, the first thing you need to do is you need to go. Stop staying on the mountain, get off, go to the nations. The second thing he tells us to do is that we were to baptize. Okay. Today we're going to baptize 27 people. That's amazing. And I still remember the first baptism that we ever had in our church. I'm going to throw that picture up. It's my friend Keely. Keely was the first person who experienced life change through Jesus here at Redemption. It was before our church ever even opened the doors. She was invited by a friend, and she was kind of hiding in the back and being really nervous. And I noticed that she had a camera, and so I said, hey, um, I'll give you 20 bucks if you want to take some pictures. And she said, well, okay. And so you know, she, she took some pictures, and they were actually really good. And so I said, hey, if you want to come back next week, I'll give, you, I'll give you some more money, and you can take pictures again. And then she came back the next week, and then we did it the next week. And then I gave her another 20 bucks, and she came back the next week, which, by the way, is a great way to grow a church. Just pay people to come. <laughs> and then eventually she's like, Byron, you don't have to keep paying me because I actually want to be here now. <laughs> and then she met Jesus and she got in a group and she got on a team. 
And then whenever we had our first baptism Sunday, she was the first one to get in that water. Look at her face. Look at her face. Isn't that so amazing? In this picture, Keely is being obedient to the Lord through baptism. And that's exactly what Jesus says to do. Now, something that's interesting and I want to point out is that Jesus here does not tell new believers that they need to be baptized. Okay, now, if you're a Christian, you need to be baptized. Okay, if you're a new believer, you need to be baptized. Okay, in obedience to the Lord, you need to be baptized. So sign up. Go ahead, go to the back at the end of it. If you did not sign up, don't worry. The Lord told us that you were getting baptized today. We got t-shirts, we got a towel, we got everything for you. There is no excuse. If you are a new Christian or if you are a Christian and you have not yet been baptized, we want you to do that today. Baptism is the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. That's exactly what it means. We want you to be baptized. But what's interesting is that this is not a command for new believers to be baptized. This is a command for disciples to baptize new believers. You may say that again? Do I need to say that again? All right. Who's Jesus talking to in this, in this section of scripture? He's not talking to converts. He's talking to disciples. If you are a disciple, you are to go and you are to baptize. He doesn't say the pastor is supposed to baptize. He says we are supposed to baptize. He doesn't say the elders of the church are supposed to be the ones who baptize. He says we are to be the ones who baptize. I didn't say this first service, but I'll say it. Last baptism Sunday, we had a little camera set up and did some Facebook Live, and there was a person who was really offended that I wasn't the one who was doing baptisms, and they were watching on the computer screen. And they say, the pastor needs to be the one. There is no place in the Bible that says the elders of the church are the ones who are the baptizers. There's something that's important, and I want to stress it, and I've hit it all through Mark, and I'll get back to that. We believe in what's known as the priesthood of all believers here. That for our church, if you are a Christian and you are filled with the Holy Spirit, then you are called to be his witness. And you don't have to wait for the CEO of an organization or the 501c3 or all of these things to go tell your neighbor about Jesus. You just get up and you go tell them. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the Bible. You have the call. You have the commission. It's for you. And so he wants you to go and he wants you to baptize. Now, in just a moment, we're going to baptize 27 people. But one thing that's so important is this. You see Keely's face. But do you see my face? (laughs) Because not only was she the first person to be baptized in our church, she was also the first person that I ever got to baptize in my life. (laughs) Baptism is not just for new believers. Baptism is also for the church. The last baptism Sunday is we saw some friends who were stepping in the tank to baptize people who have made a big difference in their life. I just got kept watching people over and over and over again baptize. And my heart was just filled with such joy. I stood on the stage and I prayed probably one of the dumbest prayers that I ever prayed. And I said, I said, God, my prayer is that by the end of this year, every person who calls redemption home will have the privilege and the opportunity to baptize one person 
to see one neighbor, one coworker, one friend, one person in their life meet Jesus and step in those waters and see life change through Jesus go public. What would it look like for a church that everyone reaches one? That's what we want. And we've seen God go ahead and begin to do it because here's another picture of my friend Sarah Emily and her friend Heather. That she got to lead her friend Heather to Jesus and then Heather stepped in the waters for baptism. Could y'all throw that picture slide up there? Look at Heather. But also look at Sarah. This is what discipleship looks like. Discipleship means that you go and then you baptize. Which leads to the third thing we need to teach. Right now I'm teaching. In Redemption, we love the Bible. We teach the Bible. Right now we're in this little series and we're going to dive back into Mark and then maybe we finish it by 2020. Okay, I don't know. Jesus might come back before then. But either way, we're going to be studying in the, the book of Mark. Okay, and we love the Bible. We teach the Bible. But you know, I'm not the only teacher here in this church. Okay, we, have, we have several great teachers. Um, Brandon Stacy, he's a deacon here. He's a great teacher. Ethan and Andy, they're teachers. Probably the best teacher we have is Mary Ellis over our Freedom Group. She is a phenomenal teacher. Okay, Crystal Wordham, the deacon of women's ministry, she's a teacher. Our serve team leaders, our deacons, they're teachers. Our community group leaders, they're teachers. God has really blessed us with teachers. But do you know they're not the only teachers? He also says that you need to teach too. See, teaching is not just what I do on a Sunday because a sermon is not enough. I only get one hour with you and there's a timer in the back that's already read in negative 55 seconds. <laughs> They're like, hey, wrap it up, B, I gotta go. So we know I can't accomplish everything in this time, which means we're gonna need more teachers in our church because discipleship's not one hour on a Sunday. Discipleship is 169 hours out of the week. It's every day. And so if we're gonna reach people, guess what we gotta do? We got to teach them. See, you know what's fascinating to me is we're baptizing 27 people. That means in the history of our church, 117 people have been baptized. That's amazing. But that also scares me. See, Byron, why would you be scared that roughly half of your church has been saved in the last three years? Because we're reaching all these people. Who's going to teach them? can't be me. When they get out of the water, who's going to love them? Who's going to serve them? Who's going to help them? Who's going to pray for them? Who's going to read the Bible with them? Who's going to call them on a hard day and a bad day? Who's going to be the one who teaches them? See, you know what? I feel like our church, we're really good at reaching people, but we're missing the teaching because God's called you to teach. You say, but I, I, I can't teach. I didn't take a class. You don't have to take a class. You say, but, but I didn't go to college. It doesn't matter but I don't know apologetics. Doesn't matter. But I don't know everything. I'll let you in a little secret. I don't know everything either. Ask my wife. She'll tell you. <laughs> but here's what I do know. You don't need to know everything. You just need to know Jesus. If you know who Jesus is, you know everything that you need. If you've been a Christian for 10 years, you need to be teaching somebody who's only been a Christian for five. If you've been a Christian for five years, you need to be teaching somebody who's been a Christian for two. If you've been a Christian for two years, you should be teaching somebody who's been a Christian for two months. If you've been a Christian for two months, 
then you should be teaching somebody who's getting in that water today. And when you get out of that water today, you should teach us as a church what it means to have passion again. Because you have passion. If we're going to have a church where everyone reaches one, then we also need to have a church where everyone teaches another. If we're going to reach them, then we got to teach them. Some of you, you need to start teaching. Yeah, sure, you're never going to get a microphone, and you're probably not going to get on stage or write a book or lead a crusade, but you do know someone and you do know something, and that's who you need to teach. So maybe it's in joining a serve team. Okay, you can teach that. Maybe it's becoming a deacon. There's a good place to teach. Maybe it's joining a community group, leading a community group to teach. Maybe it's just someone at work. Teach them about Jesus. Maybe you're a parent. Teach your kids about Jesus. Maybe you're a husband. Pray with your wife. Begin teaching. Yeah, you don't have to know everything, but if you know Jesus, you know everything you need. How many of you want to grow in your faith? How many of you want to experience life change through Jesus in incredible, amazing ways? How many of you want to experience those things? Hey, you got to do these three things. Go, baptize, and teach. You know, what's so interesting is that many people, they, they want to lose weight, but they don't actually do the work. So what would it look like if what you did is like, I went and read all the books, I got the resources. Man, yeah, I read the article. It was a great article. The guy had a six-pack and everything. I don't have one. What happened? Well, did you do what you were told? Well, no. That's the reason why. Many of you want to grow, but you don't want to do what you're told. You want to say, I want to experience life change through Jesus. Okay, well, go, baptize, and teach. Oh, I don't know if I can do that. Okay, well, if you want to grow, you got to do those three things. The same way it's true for your physical life is the same way it's also true for your spiritual life. If you want to experience life change through Jesus, here's, the, here's what you do. You do this. You keep showing up. Number two, you do what you're told. And then lastly, number three, you trust the promise. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Immediately after this, Jesus is actually taken up into heaven. Originally, what I was going to do is I was going to teach this sermon first, and then I was going to show you everything that comes after it in the book of Acts. But as I was studying and preparing it all out, I felt like I needed to flip the script because I wanted to show you that actually everything that the apostles and disciples do after this throughout the book of Acts is nothing more than them living out the Great Commission. All they're doing as you read through Acts, oh, over and over and over again, all they keep doing is they're showing up, they're doing what Jesus tells them to do, and then they're trusting the promise. Acts 1, Jesus says, you will receive the promise of the Holy Spirit, and I want you to pray, and then I want you to trust that promise, and then Acts chapter 2, the Spirit is poured out, they stand up, and Peter preaches, and then 3,000 people are baptized in a single day. Do you know what he did? He showed up, he did what Jesus told him to do, and he trusted in the promise, and that's how it happened. When we come to Acts chapter 6, Philip, Jesus says, I want 
want you to go down into the desert. He showed up. He did what he was told. He trusted in the promise. He got his one. Acts chapter 10, all Peter did was show up, did what he was told, and trusted the promise, and the whole household was saved, and Gentiles were then added into the church. The only thing that he had to do was these three things, that he would show up, that he would do what he was told, and they would trust the promise, and then they saw Jesus continue to do amazing, wonderful, exciting things. And here's what I know. If we do these things, he can do it for us. And I wholeheartedly believe that. And here's what Jesus wants you to know, that I will do it if you trust in this promise that he is with you. How did 11 men go and do all of these things? Because he was with them. They didn't do it on their own. They didn't do it on their own efforts or on their own energies or on their own plans. Here's what they did. They trusted that wherever they went, whatever they did, he was with them. And what I believe is this. If he did it for them, then he can do it for you. Do you know how I know that? Because he says, I am with you always. Not just them, but you too. The same men on the mountainside in Galilee 2,000 years ago were given a great commission. Go to the whole world. And they did it. And he did it for them. And I believe he can do it for you. The same great commission that Jesus gave them is the same great commission that Jesus gives us. God expects nothing more or nothing less out of us today as he did for them 2,000 years ago. We have the same Jesus. We have the same Holy Spirit. We have the same scriptures. We have the same everything. Why would he expect less out of us when he's given us so much more? He says, go, and you don't go alone because I am with you. When it's difficult, you trust the promise. When it's painful, you trust the promise. When it seems impossible, you trust this promise. How did 11 men single-handedly change the world? Because Jesus says, I am with you always. Trust that promise. Do you have a friend or a family member who is not yet following Jesus? How are you going to reach them? You trust the promise. Do you have someone that you love that does not love Jesus? You trust that promise. Do you have someone you know who does not yet know Jesus? You trust that promise. And then you go and you trust that promise that even when it seems hopeless, even when it seems difficult, even when it seems hard, especially when it's hard, and even when it's impossible, you trust in that promise. And he did it for them, and I believe he can do it for you. I wanted to show you something. What happened to these 11 men? Here's what church history tells us about these 11 men and what God did in their lives because here's all they did. They showed up, they did what he told them to do, and they trusted in the promise. 11 disciples on a mountain changed the world. Peter became a pastor, wrote several books of the Bible, planted a church in Rome. James was a missionary to Spain. John, the beloved, he lived 99 years, wrote five books of the Bible, and he was a pastor of the church of Ephesus. Andrew was a missionary to Eastern Europe. Philip was a missionary to Greece along with Bartholomew. Judas was a missionary to Iraq. The other Judas was a missionary to Iraq. 
Matthew, the one we're reading now, he was a missionary to the Jewish people, and he actually wrote this book of the Bible. What's fascinating is this. Matthew was a tax collector. He was the lowest of the low. He was rejected by the Jewish people, and then he wrote a Bible, a book of the Bible written directly to them. That's, that's what Jesus can do. James, he was the first missionary to be killed in the book of Acts, and it was his death that led to a whole mission movement. Simon the Zealot was a missionary to Africa, and Thomas, the one who was on the mountainside that doubted, he went further than any other disciple all the way to India, and church history tells us that the church he planted in India is still in existence today. And here's how it started. 11 men who experienced life change through Jesus. And what I believe is this, that if he can do it for them, he can also do it for you. And guess what we're going to see today? We're going to see the Great Commission happen in our church. Jesus said, go. Here we are. Jesus said, teach. And I'm done. And he said, baptize. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to see the Great Commission happen here in our church. From a mountainside to an old warehouse, Jesus still changes lives. So here's how we're going to do it. If you are being baptized today, you fired up? You ready? You excited? Wow, 9 o'clock had y'all beats. I was basically trying to kick people out of that tank. They were jumping in, ready to go. They're like, cannonball, hey, are you ready to be baptized? So here's what we're going to do. We are going to dismiss you in a sec. For those of you who are being baptized, I know you're eager. I know you're ready. Not yet, not yet, not yet. There's people here who today, after the preaching of the word of God, you realize that you also need to be baptized. We had two people for service who didn't even sign up. They were like, all right, let's do this. I'm ready. I've been, I've been delaying it for a long time. I'm ready to go. Well, today's your day to be baptized. You say, I didn't bring anything. Don't matter, because we got stuff for you. Okay, we got a shirt for you. We got towels for you. We got it all covered for you. The Holy Spirit told us that you were coming, and so we went ahead and prepared everything. And so you didn't know you were being baptized, but God did. So today you're going to get baptized. You say, well, I don't know. I don't have it. Nope. Don't worry about it. We got you covered. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to count to three. And if you're being baptized today, our church is going to cheer you on. Now, I want you to know something else. For those of you who are not being baptized today, do you remember the dumb look on my face when Keely was being baptized? Okay, that's you. <laughs> hey, we have a photographer here, and we'll tag you, and everybody will see you making a weird grin. It'd be great. I want you to know something about redemption, Okay. We get really excited. We're a passionate church. We're an excited church. Okay, because this is life change through Jesus taking place. So, so one thing is we're a little Pentecostal. No flags, but we're Pentecostal still. It means we get excited. So here's where we're going to let it go, okay? So whenever I dismiss them, you guys, y'all cheer. You laugh, you clap, you get excited. Okay, this is church. You can't have fun. Okay, so we're just going to have some fun today, okay? Y'all ready for that? Wow. All right. So here you go. On the count of three, if you're being baptized, I want you to stand up, and I want you to go back. We have an usher back there. He's going to help you, lead you in the back, and then we're going to come forward, take communion. Kids are going to come in in just a sec. Okay, so I'm going to count to three. You ready? One, 
two, wait, hold on. I don't know if y'all ready yet. You good? You ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. You're ready. You going, right? Are you ready? All right. Three, two, wait, I did backwards. One, two, three, be baptized. Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus. Oh.